the elders, they talk about different prophecies, which all have the same ending, which talk about unity, equality. Today, we are in a time where it's going to take everybody. It's not just the indigenous that are going to be able to save the world through prayer. And it's not just the scientists, developers, all sorts of technology. It's going to take a village. And so it's going to take all skill sets. It's going to take everyone putting their hearts together and realizing that the biggest problem we have in the world is not climate change, it's not deforestation, it's not mining, it's not any of that. It's disconnection. It's forgetting that whatever we're doing to our mother, to the earth, we're doing to ourselves. Prophecies have foretold, and wisdom keepers all know, that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity, so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on Earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shayna Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Time of the Feminine podcast. Today, Shana and I interview Vivian Viella, who is incredible. Her work in the world is something that we both deeply admire. Her journey is also a similar one. She went from being lost and confused, hurting as a high fashion model in London, to encountering indigenous wisdom, the medicine of the forest, the power in the Amazon, which led to a complete transformation and awakening that completely shifted her life. She's now a woman of devotion, of study, of reverence. I think that's what I respect most about her is her reverence and a woman who carries wisdom because she's earned it and she's learned it from the indigenous elders that she supports. She is a philanthropist, an activist, and she stewards the organization Aniwa, which has brought together 40 esteemed indigenous elders from all over the world to sit in council together to discuss the nature of the times we're living in and also to teach Westerners like myself, like you, how we go about these times, how we reconnect with the earth, how we be in right relation with ourselves, with Mother Gaia and each other. In this episode with Vivian, we talk about important subjects. We talk about sacred commerce. We talk about uh, prophecy about these times, as well as spiritual materialism and performative spirituality. So let's go ahead and dive in. Welcome, welcome, Vivian. It is such a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you also on this beautiful podcast. So Shana and I were thinking about how we wanted to begin this podcast and what we wanted to ask you. And what is alive for us today is that very sacred process that takes place when somebody has a spiritual awakening or a death of an old self and a rebirth of a new self. And in your history, you had that. You went from being a model to having a massive transformation and changing your life path completely. So would love you to give us a little picture of what your internal world was like before that shift happened. Who were you? Okay, so it all began when I was little. I was very much, I think, in the same path that I am today without knowing, no, many things opened for me spiritually. I was tapping into this magical world, which I didn't understand. And I didn't have the parents that could support that journey. My parent, my father was an atheist and my mom, I think so also, she didn't put it in those words back then, but then she became an evangelic later when she married uh, the son of a preacher. So 
they kind of like helped shut down that part of me. And I also saw things that I was pretty scared of. And then I would pray to never see spirits again, to never... I listened to them and I was like, okay, maybe nothing exists. But I knew bad spirits definitely did exist and I didn't want to mess with them. So then I grew up, I shut myself to this world and I grew up. But then in my teens, I started to feel a deep urge to tap into something else, things that I didn't see or know or understand. And I ended up doing that through drugs, exploring and taking hallucinogens and all types of drugs and becoming a party girl. And this is the time also when I was modeling. So I was a bit of a rebel when I was modeling because I never wanted to comply to that industry that would really mess up with girls' minds so much and humiliate them. And so I used to see the girls around me, you know, one time I was traveling, I was in Europe and I had a roommate that she would eat like a can of tuna a day. And that was it because she needed to lose weight. The other one would eat and then make herself throw up. And all of those things that I watched around me, I was like, oh my God. And I felt so sorry for them, but it never happened to me because I never put on weight. And so I thought I was fine. No, I thought I was very confident. I thought I loved myself. Because physically, I, I didn't have those problems. And, and obviously, because I was later, I started partying even more. And so I was doing a lot of drugs. And so I definitely didn't have that problem until my father passed. And my father committed suicide when I was 21 years old. And he was the most important person to me. We were born. I was born on the same day as so we were very, very similar. And he was always my safety harbor because my mom was a little bit unstable emotionally and, and everything. And so dad was safety. And then, so he committed suicide and my entire world collapsed. I, this was my first year living in London. And so when that happened, I really, I always had a little bit of patterns of putting all my emotions on food. I always loved chocolate and just like yummy comfort foods. But when this happened, I really dove into like eating everything I could find in front of me. And I would eat, 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 and then feel like I was going to explode, wait half an hour for the food to go down, and then eat some more. And, and then I started to put on weight. But more than putting on weight, I was bloated because I was eating refined sugar of the worst quality. And so I started to go on a journey to really look into how I viewed myself. Because up until then, I thought I was super confident. I had no problems. I didn't think life was that hard, even though, of course, you know, we have different types of traumas. And so in this point, when I started to put on weight, I obviously was not getting booked for many jobs. I was a model. And so I started to really loathe myself. Every day I would look at myself in the mirror and say, you're disgusting, you're hard. And I would just like grab my fat. I would spend the day grabbing my fat, like on my arms and just thinking like how I despise myself. But I didn't have the motivation to go to the gym, to go exercise or to get out of that pattern that was cemented into me. And that lasted for a while. And so and then there were phases, you know, I was living in London. London is a pretty heavy place, especially during the winter. And so there were phases, you know, in the winter I would put on weight and then I would go to Ibiza for three months, do loads of drugs and come back feeling great, very skinny. And then so that it was a vicious cycle for a while. So my thoughts, how are my thoughts? They were pretty unstable and revolved so much about the way I looked. And I didn't realize how brainwashed I had been by the modeling industry to think that all I had were my looks, I, nothing else. And so I felt so empty and I really felt very lost. And then you went seeking and you found yourself in the Amazon. What happened then? Yeah, so I got better, but I things progressed, but they didn't change completely. It just felt like I was burying everything in my subconscious and moving on. And so that was a time, and then it was during my Saturn return that I spent my birthday crying. And I was like, what am I doing with my life? You know, I'm here, I'm making money. I have a, at this point, I had already fixed my life a little bit. I was making loads of money and I was happy. I had the freedom to travel. Yet something deeper was missing. I was thinking, you know, in the books, I have everything that anybody would have wanted. I have freedom. I travel so much. You know, so many people used to say to me, you're so lucky. You have this, you have that, you have everything. And still inside, I was empty. And so I would look at 
shopping. If I was sad, I would just go shopping, spend loads of money, get a bunch of new clothes. Or relationships, you know, being with a guy that I didn't like, but loved me. And so just be with them for like a few months, knowing that they were in love, but I didn't love them. And I was like, I just want you to know you're not my boyfriend, but I would still be with them every day because I just liked that affection that they were giving me, which I wasn't giving myself. And then there was the other phase. I was partying so much, I was afraid of aging. So I went and put Botox on my face at 25 years old. So there were all these different phases when I was looking for external things to fill in the gap that I was feeling inside. And so when my birthday happened, that which I spent crying, thinking, where am I going? Shortly after that, everything opened up and I actually went to see, yeah, I went to see a healer in Brazil first in Sao Paulo, which connected me to some really deep and undeniable spiritual experiences are connected with angels and it was everything was completely out of my realm of understanding or believing and the experience was so mind-blowing blatant on my face that was undeniable so after that I completely stopped doing drugs this is what what I was asked to do and so after that everything opened really really fast Then I went on my first vision quest months after, and then I started taking plant medicines. And then I went to the Amazon and I dove so as the good Aries that I am. Everything that I do is wholeheartedly. Everything that I do, I just dive in head first without thinking. I love immersing myself on things that I love. That's how I did with the potting. That's how I did with the food. And so this is also how I did with all of this, with the spirituality, with ancient wisdom. And so before the Amazon, what really, really changed my life was working with a teacher in North America. He was doing nature work. He called them sacred passages. They started as vision quests every year. And then I did one that was 28 days long, just sitting by myself in a sacred land in nature and meditating and doing qigong, tai chi, practices that harnessed the qi, the energy of nature into my being and practices that exchanged energy with these beings of nature. And so I was able to truly understand what it meant that we are all connected. No, I was able to even see those connections. And so these experiences really what changed my life forever was to feel this nature alive inside of me and responding to my every thought all around me. What a powerful story. Thank you so much for sharing. I relate to your journey. Very similar. I was an actress in LA and was really broken, did drugs, was way way too concentrated on my appearance and never felt like I was beautiful enough and had a lot of criticism and my self-esteem was super low. And in the same way, I was connected to the wisdom of the earth through indigenous practices and the wisdom of nature. And that's what began my remembrance. And that's what shifted everything. And so I want to ask you, after you felt this experience with nature being inside of you and being connected to it and responding to it, What was born in you? What was the inspiration or motivation or what changed? What definitely, yeah, I want to know what changed. The first experience I had with nature was a vision quest. So out of knowing nothing, I somehow ended up in a vision quest, which is, you know, an intense experience for someone who is doing it for the first time with no concept of how to connect with nature. And so the first four days were the, hardest four days of my life. It was when I realized, because up until that point, I also didn't know how to be alone. I needed, whenever I was at home, I would be on my phone to someone else, on the computer, or have friends around. I found it really hard to sit with myself. And so I'm there on top of a mountain with nothing else but myself and nature. My mind didn't stop. It was chatter 24-7. And, and so I, it was a, an internal battle to realize, but then it was that every breath and every practice and every meditation was an expansion. No, it was like every thought, it was that spaciousness within that the thoughts became further and further away from each other as the days progressed. And something awoke inside of me that I started to 
here. I started to feel the rocks alive, breathing with me. I started to receive messages from the trees. I started to see like magical beings. I was start, I started to have to tap into this world that I knew with my entire being that existed ever since I was a child, ever since I watched movies about witches. I knew all of that existed, even though it was always denied by society. And so these vision quests that I had before prepared me for the big one, for the 28-day one, which I was in a lot of fear, but I studied for three weeks to do it, learning the different practices and going on solos one day in nature and then back and then one more day and then back until I went for the 28. And so the 28, what changed was that it was so long without technology, without anything dumbing my senses down. And what happened is that all of my senses awoke. And so through that exchange, there was one meditation that was lying down and looking at the sky, and it was to recognize the sky within. So it was feeling the expansiveness of the sky as above, so within. And so every morning I had to do that one. And it felt like the inner clouds started to just like drift away. And so every day I was able to deepen more and immerse more in the sacred connection with the being so that the river wouldn't stop drumming. The whole time I was there, sometimes I wanted to sleep. I was like, do you mind? It was just drums all night long, all day long coming from the river. There's just so much magic. Everything was alive. I would think about things and I would look at the clouds and those things would be formed in the clouds. And there were just so many synchronicities and I had, I received a very loud and clear message. I wanted to be an actress at this time. And so I was starting to do some short films and then the message came very clearly and it was like, you are to use media to raise awareness for the world, but you're not to be an actor. For you, this is not your path. For you, this is an egotistical purpose. And so you're going to drop that immediately and you're going to go live with an indigenous tribe when you get out of here. And so it basically completely shifted my world and all of my ideas of the dreams that I had for myself. So I came out of that experience without knowing what to do with myself. I'm like, do I have to move to the Amazon? I don't even know any tribes over there. I don't even know how I'm going to get there. And so immediately when I go out of there, this is a very sacred place in Colorado where everyone there is spiritual and everyone sees these beings, you know. And so I met a woman that told me about these communities that she knew. She was talking about the Ashaninka. Benki is my teacher today. I tried to connect with them, but it didn't work. And so three months after this experience, I went to a plant medicine festival in Brazil. And this is where I met Rudy, my partner, Raniwa, Oscar, my husband, Ninawa, the Huni Queen man, the first indigenous man we started working with through Aniwa and Boa Foundation. And from there, life really, really, really transformed. <laughs> I love this story. For so many reasons. I think for us to find a way to begin to feel. Our world is meant to keep us from feeling the way that it's set up. It's We're distracted all the time. And how amazing that you actually took the space to give yourself the 28 days, first of all, because so many people just go about their life thinking that there's not enough time, there's not enough space to do the things that our soul yearns for. And so it was like you listened and you did it. And then the clarity came through. You were able to receive the messages of like, this is what you're supposed to do. And I also just have so much respect for listening to it because it's hard to listen because sometimes you're like, what the heck? This is so different than what I one want to do logically in my mind and feel comfortable with. Or, you know, I don't have any reference because I don't know anyone else who has done anything like this. And so the bravery, the courage that it takes to be like, this is what I'm doing. And I trust myself enough that I'm going to walk that path. So, you. <laughs> there was no other choice. You know, it was that feeling that like there is absolutely nothing else in the world I can be doing. This is it. Because it was that feeling of being so fulfilled like never before in life had I experienced anywhere else. Yeah. And then everything came together. It was like a giant merging of all the things. They're like, oh, yeah, we've been waiting for you. Here's all of the people. <laughs> Here's all the things that you need. Go along. Yeah, it was pretty beautiful. And I think one of the most amazing parts also, I was so scared of being by myself in the dark. 
when I was 18, I had a really, really, ex really terrifying experience in a haunted house, which was the second time I prayed to never see spirits ever again in my life. And it was like horror movie type of material. And so being alone at night always made me remember that things I couldn't see and noises, you know, a little squirrel moving a nut at night. sounds like, you know, a huge monster when you are out in the open. And so these, all these fears as well that I had to confront to find the magic and the beauty and the safety, which was a huge reflection of all the fears buried within also. You know, then we imagine things that haven't happened. We're not present. We're thinking, what if this happened? What if that happened and the other? And meanwhile, there's only magic all around and we can't see it because we're afraid of the squirrel, you know, rolling the nut. I'd love to hear about your work with Aniwa and supporting so many elders and diving into so much wisdom, indigenous wisdom. And specifically, I want to know about your relationship with dark spirits and scary spirits now that you've been seeped in this this wisdom and what you've come to understand about that so i really have no words to even say what what anyone means to me you know this i never planned it i never prayed for it it really was a mission bestowed upon us by by spirit and anyone has its own life it, the way it makes things happen the way it brings elders in and and people and community and and how much it has taught us and how much you beat us up into shape also to be able to carry it was really really magical and so i mean words cannot express the love and gratitude i have for this entity that is anua and yeah so it started the first gathering was in in 2017 first we started with the boa foundation with Ninawa, we wanted to film a documentary with him. And then we raised funds. We discovered he didn't have water to drink in his community. We didn't want to come empty-handed. And so we raised funds on Facebook to give him an artisan well. And this is three months after we all met in this place, which, by the way, everyone has to go. It's called Alto Paraíso, which means high paradise. It's a, in a national park, Chapada dos Veadeiros, with 300 kilometers of quartz crystal under the earth. It's, I mean, it's, it's beyond. So then this is how the Boa Foundation was born. I was in a meeting with someone who had donated money to the Boa Foundation. And he was a businessman and he wanted to do a niche project for himself. And he was opening some things in Ibiza. He wanted to do something different there. So he was simply asking me for advice and for contacts in Ibiza. And out of the blue, this idea comes through me and it's like, why don't you do this? And this had absolutely nothing to do with what this person does. He was involved in my dream because I was speaking about it with so much excitement because it was the first time I had thought about this. And I was like, oh my God, why don't you do this and that and the elders? And so he was like, would you want to do this with me? You were so busy. You're always traveling. I was like, a hundred percent. And so we started doing this together as a partnership. However, he realized shortly after that this had nothing to do with what he did. And so he just decided to donate the funds to the Boa Foundation. And this is how I knew I was born again as a complete magic spell. And I'm so grateful to him. He's been a great supporter. Even though he doesn't follow, he doesn't come to it. He has supported us over and over again. And so, so much gratitude to him also. And dark spirits, we've had, had to deal with them more and more as things progress. At the end of the day, they're great teachers also. You know, I don't want to have, I don't want to be friends with them. I don't want to have anything to do with them, but I'm also not afraid of them because I know that whenever we have the frequency of love shining in our hearts, you know, there is nothing that can catch us. And so I, I came to realize that dark energy it's a lot, it's, it's very complex, no? But it's also very easy. We can create it ourselves just with our thoughts, with our ways of being. We can acquire it from places. We can acquire it from people. It can be sent to us through the power of thought. And at the end of the day, what are they? They're simply delays into, of our path. So if we connect with them, if we engage here, there, and the other, even like through gossip, through thriving and talking bad about other people, through, you know, this, our energy starts leaking here, there, there. And so these dark spirits have more of a grip on us. And so the way I feel to, why am I not scared of them anymore? 
because I have my practice and I'm connected to God. 24 hours a day, I'm connected to God. And when God is present, he's my father. He's the one that is he, she, you know, this divine consciousness. In Mexico, we call Ometeo, mother, father, God. Whenever I have to go to leave this planet, it will be God that will take me. It was God that made me, it will be God that will take me. And so I don't need to be afraid of death. If I'm not afraid of death, I'm not afraid that anything can harm me. Just keep going. And so I just, this is one thing that I learned on my journey is like, don't connect, don't give energy to these things that want to suck it by connecting to low vibration activities that we know are not good for us. Even indulging in things that we know are not good for us, but we're doing it just because. No, and so, yeah, I think this is how, there is a really beautiful story about the deer that says the creator lived on top of a holy mountain and the little deer felt his calling. However, on that mountain, on the way of it, there was a really ugly, scary monster that made everyone think that the creator was too busy to receive any visitors for anybody to get close to him. And so the little deer had so much love in his heart. He really wanted to go see the creator. So he started climbing the mountain. And so he arrived to the monster and the monster was so scary. It was blowing smoke from his nose. And the little deer was just like so loving, said, you know, I'm going to see the creator. And the monster started like, Fair. and so most animals would have died immediately looking at him or would have run really fast. But the little deer, he had so much innocence and so much true love. And all he really wanted was to be close to the creator. And so through his love, he shrank the monster and the monster ended up becoming the size of a peanut. And like that, the little deer was able to cross and pass. And so this story says that it was a deer that opened the path for then all the other creatures to arrive to the creator, conquering these monsters. And so this just represents our mind, you know, our subconscious and fears that keep us away from doing things that we know are good for us that might require some courage to get to. <laughs> I love the story of the little deer. It's so endearing. So endearing. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> so Vivian, I want to hear more about what Aniwa is here to do. What is your vision of bringing these indigenous elders together? What do you see for our future and how does your work support that? So Aniwa was born based on the rainbow prophecy, which is a prophecy that was shared with the press for the first time in 1985. However, it's a very ancient prophecy from many indigenous communities of the North, which talks about a time when all the rivers would be dying, the oceans would be empty of fish, the forests would be burning, all the people would be fighting, the world would be a great parish, and then the eighth fire would be lit, and people would feel the call and they would join together, people of all races, colors, and creeds, they would join together as a great swirling rainbow, they would look at the elders for guidance, listening to those earth-based traditions to move forward. And so they would move through the world, spreading joy, healing, and peace everywhere they went. And on that day, species of animals that had been extinct would come back to life and the world would have the balance restored. And so I don't know if you guys have been accompanying this, but on the past three years, a lot of animals that were extinct have been found again. There was a jaguar in Taiwan that hadn't been seen for 40 years. There were many birds. And so, you know, a lot of the elders we work with, they talk about a time of prophecy. Maybe this prophecy, maybe from the south, the condor and the eagle prophecy, which talks about merging the heart and the mind, merging science and spirituality, merging technology with ancient wisdom, the way of the mind, the feminine with the masculine. And they say that the world would only be in balance when those two birds, the condor, that represented the heart, the feminine, spirituality, intuition, and the ego, which represented the mind, assertiveness, technology, development, and so masculine energy. And so those two had to fly together side by side in equality for us to be in balance. The elders, they talk about different prophecies, which all have the same ending, which talk about unity, 
equality, seeing each other as brothers and sisters, no matter where we come from, no matter the color of our skin, our background, because we today we are in a time where we're going to need, it's going to take everybody. It's not just the indigenous that are going to be able to save the world through prayer. And it's not just the scientists, developers, you know, all sorts of technology, even sustainable technology. It's not just that that is going to save the world. It's going to take a village. And so it's going to take all skill sets. It's going to take everyone putting their hearts together and realizing that the biggest problem we have in the world is not climate change. It's not deforestation, it's not mining, it's not any of that. It's disconnection. It's forgetting that whatever we're doing to our mother, to the earth, we're doing to ourselves. And so if we are connected, if we are connected to our hearts, if we are connected as women to the power of our wombs, which give birth, which give birth to everything, then we're going to be completely incapable of hurting another being. We're going to be completely incapable of devastating the earth, polluting the waters, but, you know, just for greed. So the work of Aniwa is that, is what, of bringing in these indigenous um, elders together to teach this type of connection. And it's not to make anybody indigenous, but really indigenous means of a place. So everyone is indigenous. Not everyone comes from nations that were first nations, but everyone comes from a place. And every single culture around the world had this type of connections, practices, rituals to honor our Mother Earth, our Father Sun, our Grandmother Moon, the elements that give us life. We all knew this at one point. And, you know, Europeans lost at first, they were colonized first, and then the trauma propagated. And so what these elders are teaching is simply to go back to what our souls know, our spirits know, our hearts know, which is we truly are all, all one, no matter what type of human suit we came with in this lifetime. We are the, the relatives of the, every ant, of every little critter around this world and they're just as important as we are. And if we are to get out of this, we need to remember that. And so this is what Aniwa is, is a gathering. We're now just launching a, an online platform also to make this wisdom available, to activate every single person's heart essence, to be able to, to look at our own material, to look at our own murky waters within that, that come as a result of trauma, as a result of conditioning, as a result of all of our life experiences and turning that into our strengths to be able to heal our trauma and to be able to find this light within so we can be motivated, so we can really embody this change that we want to see in the world because we need to embody within us first. So that's what Aniwa is, is ancient wisdom available for anybody who wants to truly connect and then all of this is rooted in reciprocity. And so through the Boa Foundation, Aniwa Gathering is a nonprofit. And so through the Boa Foundation, we channel funds to implement in projects in indigenous communities, such as land buyback, building of schools, cultural centers, and anything related to helping the indigenous empower their own communities to have access to education, to have access to eco-friendly solutions, to solar power and so forth, anything they need. And also empowering their own arts and crafts and anything that generates for them sovereignty, food sovereignty, water sovereignty, and also their art sovereignty. So yeah, we believe, we don't believe in charity. We believe it's always a sphere that is turning. And so if we can learn from them, how can we support them to also achieve their dreams? I love that you said that you don't believe in charity and it's interesting to not believe in charity. I think a lot of people think of charity as a solving of a problem and we experience this a global sisterhood where even when we give things away for free, I like to trade because there's a value exchange that's happening and I find that when people are receiving and giving value, there is the connection that happens. There is that feeling of I'm a part of the system and I have inherent worth. And you said so many other beautiful things. I just am in awe of the work that you do and the prophecies that you hold so deep in your heart that continue to carry you as you walk. And so 
Lauren and I also deal with this entity, Global Sisterhood, and it's incredibly challenging. And it it burns everything to the ground that does not serve the organization. And it's hard work. And we're in partnership. And I know you're in partnership in, in the work that you do in business partnership. Someone the other day thought I was in actual partnership with you, Lauren. Really? So. <laughs> oh, I'd be flattered. <laughs> so... I'm curious to hear about the challenges and how you work to overcome them, both with, you know, personal stuff that comes up in relation to the organization or in your partnership specifically and how you overcome it. May I add to that, too, within the same vein? You were just speaking about the eagle and the condor prophecy, which is a prophecy I've heard for many years and hold dear. And the way you explained it is actually a different way than I've heard the merging like heart and science, you know, together and business, nonprofits, organizations in the Western world. It is that, especially what you're doing. You are bridging the ancient wisdom with with technology. And so to further Shana's question about the challenges, I want to know specifically about that merging too. Absolutely. So, wow, it's been a, a long journey touching on all of these topics and finding our balance on them. And so when I say I don't believe in charity, what I mean is I don't want them to be dependent on us. I don't want the BOA Foundation to be the only source of income to indigenous communities because it won't be sustainable. I want to leave. I want to be able. So what we do is first, we don't tell anybody what it is that they need. We listen to the leaders to hear from them. What do they feel their community needs? And then we will look at the impact it will have. And if it's a large impact for the whole community, we will provide the funds and we will also hire, uh, whenever possible, uh, indigenous from these communities to execute the works. And so we want to leave them set up for success. So we want to help them achieve their dreams and leave them a model which can then generate further income or can generate a sustainable system of sovereignty, you know, implementing foods and crops and, and fish ponds and things that they can maintain, which can maintain the entire community. So when we leave, we're not going to be missed because they're good. They're set up for success. And merging has been interesting. So when we began, and, and so there's different aspects of our organizations as well. So the Aniwa platform it's not a nonprofit, it's a B Corp. And the Boa Foundation and the Aniwa Gathering are nonprofits. So the Aniwa Gathering was born from the Boa Foundation. And then through that, later was born the Aniwa Community, which we do retreats and online offerings. And so for many years, we did everything for free. So for us, it was the biggest honor to be sitting in the presence of these elders and make this happen. So we were paying from our own pockets for all the trips, for everything. And, you know, until this day, neither Rudy or I ever made a cent from the Boa Foundation. We, that's, and we're not intending to. We're happy to donate our time for that. And so, but for many years, you know, it was, people were like, how do you guys survive? And how do you manage to travel around the world? We're like, I, we have no idea. Things appeared from our old jobs and different things. And so we got to a place today where we had to also fix our relationship with the recipe because the reciprocity had to go two ways. Our ethos was always reciprocity for the indigenous communities. And so we gave them everything. And in the beginning, it was good because at the beginning, you know, we could only generate as much before the community grew. And so, and even Aniwa Gathering until today, which is a nonprofit, some people ask us, no, or some people write comments. It's like, why are you charging for spirituality? Why are you charging? And then one day, Benki, who is... Ashaninka leader, he's world renowned for his environmental work. He's a, a UN Equator Prize winner. He planted over 2 million trees in his life. And so he wrote on Facebook to this person. He was like, how do you expect us indigenous from the Amazon to get over here? Should we walk? Because if we, if we give you tickets for free, how are we going to be able to bring 50 indigenous elders from cultures all over the world to the United States? And so when we leave our families over there for two weeks to be here, we leave our lives, our works, everything. Why do you feel we should be doing that for free? He asked. 
No, and so he talked about his work. And so I think even within indigenous communities, you know, I know traditionally for many, many cultures, it's, to it's totally forbidden to charge. And then it's usually a free donation, which is completely to me 100% fair to practice these ways in their communities when people don't have the means to, to do that. And when it's something, you know, within their own community and it still can be exchanged for food and for different things a person needs to live. However, in these modern days, also the majority of them need things beyond that, beyond just having enough to eat. And when they come to a gathering such as Aniwa, for instance, the production that it takes to create all of that, to the, the venue, the, the tickets, the, the, even the stipends, because I would never ask them to come work and give them nothing in exchange. And so everything that goes into it involves a lot of costs. And so this is what we call sacred commerce. It's like a sacred exchange. Nothing is being sold. Nothing is being commercialized. It's not the wisdom they are paying for. It is people's time and energy to be there in such an arduous journey. Some of them take 10 days of non-stop traveling to get there. Some of them take five days by boat just to get to the nearest town to then drive another two days to get to an airport. And so this is what... It's not the wisdom that costs money. It's just the platform and the structure in order to be able to present that to the world. And, and I believe also, wow, what a small price to pay to have a life-changing experience to receive wisdom that these people have been safekeeping for thousands of years that has been lost in the vast majority of the world that these people took their entire lives of sacrifices, deep, deep, deep sacrifices and initiations to receive this wisdom, to be able to travel here to the other side of the world to so kindly give to us, teach us, pass on energetic transmissions. Many of them are opening so much more now and much faster than what they received because they sense the urgency of the world and they are being asked for. And now what they're doing is they're sharing online also, which was completely forbidden before to mix cameras with this type of things, recording. But they've been called because we need to accelerate if we are to make it out of here. And then the indigenous said to themselves, you know, you guys need to have your energy compensated. Otherwise, how are you going to live? Otherwise, how are you going to take care? How are you ever going to have a family? You know, Rudy, my partner and I, we were nomads for so long. He still doesn't have a home. I now have a home. I got married. I live in Mexico. But still, you know, with the help of my father-in-law, we got a home. And uh, so they started saying that to us. They're like, you can't live off air and, uh, you know, of exchange of food. You guys need to survive. And your energy that you put here is just as sacred. Your bridges and your work is, uh, is just as valuable. And Aniwa needs to survive and we want to see growing. So Aniwa, the platform, needs to take a percentage enough so that you can grow, so that you can pay people to work, so that you can, you know, pay for ads, pay for all the technologies and compensate everyone for the sacred energy they are putting into it. Nobody's expecting to become rich from working at Aniwa. You know, nobody's expecting a multi-million dollar company. However, they want to see us all live well and thrive so that we can be well and can have enough for our families that we don't have to worry so that we can continue to do this work. And I think this is what so many healers and different people within this realm have a conflict with the energy of money thinking or, or have like a mindset of poverty and struggle because truly it is a fine line to thread on. And there's a big difference between commercializing something or having an energy exchange and a reciprocity. And I think the most important thing to balance this is to always make it available for people that can't afford. This is essential, which we always have scholarships for everything, every retreat, every offering. There has to be in order because this is not supposed to be just for people who have money. And we want everybody in the world to have access to this. And so indigenous communities, impoverished communities, any communities in need this is my dream is to make big retreats for communities in need and then partner up with companies to give them jobs after. But that's a plan for the Aniwa Eco Village that is coming also. So yeah, I think there is just there needs to be a very clear balance. And as long as our intentions are in the right place and the work is, is kept, 
you know, the utmost sacredness of the world, which is another fine line when we are sharing it online. You know, there's many things also that cannot be shared. And so we work with the elders. We have a council of elders, of nine elders. They're the core of Aniwa. And so we work with them to make sure that this, they are happy with things. They approve each offering. They tell us how long they want this to be online for. Sometimes it's only live and that's it. And so we work, we talk to them about the price. We talk to them about everything. And so we also, all of our work is based on offerings. Before we do anything, we consult with spirit world. We make offerings. And then when it's done, we pay the spirit world also with offerings. We want to make sure we are in alignment in this realm and in all the other realms also. (laughs) How beautifully articulated. Thank you so much for sharing that bridging. You know, there's so much that I know Shana and I can relate to. And first of all, I just want to say to comment on what you said about what a gift to be able to pay this amount of money and to be in the presence of elders who have been holding this knowledge in their ancestry for thousands of years untouched and who have made such sacrifice to be able to transmit it to us today. Every cent, dollar, amount of time I've ever donated to humbling myself and being in the presence of indigenous elders and the wisdom they hold has been absolutely monumental for who I am and my healing and my understanding. And I know the same is for Shana too. And we have, you know, I would say global sisterhood is a product of all of that. You know, this awareness that we have about this time of the feminine and for women to come together in this way is a reclamation of our connection, of remembering our connection, which I would have never remembered if it weren't for my trip to the Amazon and studying within these traditions for the past 14 years. And regarding the financial thing, it's fascinating because we can romanticize. Well, we should just transcend the financial system and go to a whole new way of, of exchange. But I learned this quote from Ken Wilber that I love. Transcendence is not about rising above. It's about integrating. So if we really want to transcend this system. We have to find a way to integrate the healthy parts of it. And I feel like you are doing that in such a beautiful example. And I feel like Global Sisterhood is doing that as well. We have something we call Circular Sisterhood, which is about a woman who can pay full price, then sponsors other women to come. That way we are sharing our wealth and allowing women from other countries and other ethnicities to really come and and experience the power of sisterhood and the power of the work we do. And so thank you so much for sharing that. It can be so vulnerable to talk about money. People get so triggered about it. And I think that the way you spoke about it was so powerful and so beautiful. It made me want to give my money to Aniwa. I was like, I can give money. I have money. This is invaluable. This is, this makes sense to me because I think really ultimately we all just want transparency and honesty. I think we're just sick of being deceived. And there's something so beautiful about using money to heal and to create change and to bring people together. It's a value system. It's what it is. And for us to start to value things that actually matter instead of valuing all this toxic stuff that we have been valuing for such a long time, I always find it so fascinating that it's okay that oil traders make millions of dollars and all these other people who exploit the earth make so much money, yet teachers make no money. And how do we as a society value that? It just doesn't make any sense. So I really appreciate this part of the conversation because. It's something that is part of the paradigm shift, I believe. And, you know, it goes both ways also. We've experienced when you give people something for free, and I'm not talking about people that already are immersed in this and know the value of this as in traditional communities, but I'm talking about people that are coming into this realm and wanting to learn. You give them retreats for free. All of a sudden, they never want to pay for it anymore. And they start coming. And then you see they spend the same amount that the retreat cost in the shop, buying goods, which are material, which are tangible, that they can wear and beads and this and the other. I'm like, wait, but you said you didn't have money to pay for someone's energy that is here giving teachings or serving a medicine, but you do have the money to shop. And so I've observed this. And many times... Sometimes the person doesn't even open themselves up to the healing if they haven't given something. There is that energy exchange. They don't value it. And because they don't value it, they take it as something trivial, as another experience, as another. But then when they pay for it, then they have to think twice. Is this 
I really want this. And so I really want this, you know. This brings up a really interesting conversation about spiritual materialism and about the disconnection from spirit and the invisible intelligence within everything, which I believe is inherently feminine, that mystical intelligence that we can't quite quantify. And the fact that even people, and myself included at times, I can undervalue the energetic for the material outcome or the material thing. And I can imagine someone's like, ooh, indigenous beads, beautiful. Okay, I'll wear this. And that shows that I've been you know, learning with indigenous people versus really humbly stripping yourself bare naked to be completely transformed and to embody the power rather than show the power. And I think this is a really interesting time of that where it's really easy to see this expression of looking like a goddess versus being a devotee to the great mother and to the goddess. And so what have you seen about this and any wisdom you have to share about this? I mean, I'm sure it's pretty obvious in the, in in many ways. And I'm curious about what elders even have to say about this. Yeah, it's really so sad, you know, that also I think this is the same wound as the medicines being so exploited by people that want to look the part. Today, everyone wants to be a shaman. Everyone wants to be a medicine person. And you see all these people, and that's no passing judgment to anybody. I'm just uh, saying what the elders also share, no? What does it take to be a medicine person? It, sh- it certainly takes going to a forest and being able to recognize medicinal plants and being able to use them for healing and being able, what does it take to be able to work with a plant? It certainly takes knowing where this plant grows and going to the birthplace of this plant and going through the initiations that it takes, which the path of a plant is a lifetime, you no, know, is a deep commitment. So I'm always, you know, surprised when I see people, they, there is like the menu, they serve this plant that is from one region of the world and that plant that is from over there and that plant that is from over there. It's like, how did you manage to start all of these plants if one of them is a lifetime of commitment? And so... It's the culture of the magic pill no, that we have. It's like, oh, I've seen it. Is that? Okay, I'm that. Which is the same with the colors of the beads, of looking the part or playing the part, or with many different things, which nobody wants to go. Nobody wants to go to the dietas over there in the Amazon. You know, you're there for three months. You sleep three, four hours a night. You drink ayahuasca every single night. You eat a fish like this big a day. You know, you starve you don't sleep. It's not fun. You know, it's a beautiful experience, but it's not fun. You know, it becomes when, if this is your goal, but you know, the elders, they say, you know, being a spiritual leader, being a shaman, it's not something you choose as a job. Either it's your calling or it's not, you know, because you're not going to want to do these things that takes you to the deepest depths of your shadow, your face in the mud, to be able to find, you know, going through excruciating pain in order to be able to take all the anger out of your heart. So if one person comes to you and is like, hey, I'm a child molester, can you help me? Yes. Hey, I'm a murderer, can you help me? Yes. Because anybody, anybody has the right Mm -hmm. to want to change. And everybody should be given an opportunity if they get to one day to this calling, you know, because it's not, if it's not God or nature that judges us, that closes the door for us and say, no, you've done this or that. And that's completely unfathomable and and outrageous and you're not going to get another chance. And so I think this path, the path of healing and the path of this wisdom, no, is really a path of love and a path of compassion and a path of unity above anything else. And I think it's through these experiences, through these initiations that we learn of how little we truly need in our lives when we have this connection. And I feel that all of these symptoms of wanting to be, of wanting to have, of wanting to wear are simply other manifestations of the inner child within that needs that love, that needs that care, that needs that validation, that needs that acknowledgement, which we're not giving our to ourselves, to our child. And so we need somebody else to do or say or be to affirm us of who we are, no? And regarding the energy, the, the feminine energy, I think that the biggest problem that we have in the, well, this is according to the mamas from the Sierra Nevada, They say that 
One of the biggest problems we have in the world today is that women are throwing their menstrual blood away. And so that menstrual blood is our wisdom, is our innate wisdom. And so when we throw that away, when we put that blood in the trash, it goes to a landfill, it gets burned. They say that those fumes cause natural disasters on the planet and are helping the planet perish in scales that are inimaginable. And so as women, if our society truly took care of the women and prepared the women to be women, we most definitely wouldn't have the problems that we have today because the role of a woman, a woman that is embodied in her wisdom, in her in connection to her womb and to her power and to this divine mother, is a woman that holds, nurtures. She won't be judging. She won't be in conflict. She will be loving and caring. And, and like a mother, you watch a mother with a child, a mother that has that patience to see the little child that sometimes is, very, is being very naughty is destroying things, is fighting with everybody. And a mother, a true mother that has embodied that quality within herself, we always have the love and the patience to take that child and teach them and show them another way. And so if our society was truly teaching women to be, to be women and to be mothers and harness that innate wisdom, our society would be a society based in love, no? Because the women are the ones in charge of the vision for the family, of the foundations for the home, of the, being the backbone for the husband also to go out in the world. That support for everyone in the household, that's a woman's role. And also to pray for the waters, that's also our role, no? And so I think... We just, uh, we're going to have actually an amazing course about this at Aniwa Digital with the female mamas, the sagas, about womanhood, about what it means. What do we do with the placenta when a child is born? We're not supposed to eat it. We're supposed to bury it because that's theirs. That's their wisdom. What do we, so how do you prepare to have a child? The parents have to do ceremony beforehand. They have to speak to nature, how they want the child to be. And so this is all very precious wisdom that was, you know, it's not our fault that we don't know. It was robbed from our ancestors way back. And this is what I'm really passionate about to bringing this back. <laughs> Vivian, I'm curious as a listener, I'm imagining that some people are like, wow, powerful. I feel disconnected. I get it. What do I do? You know, how do I, how do I be connected? Where do I start? Well, I think... You know, the start is to go inside. You know, I think we have always so much time to help somebody else. You know, the frenetic friend, oh my God, you have a minute, I need to talk to you. And it just unloads all of her problems on you for like 40 minutes, an hour. And you know, most good friends would just hold space and listen. But how many of us are doing that for ourselves, for our inner child to take that time of the day and say, this time is sacred. Put it in calendar. This is me time. Every day there should be me time for a practice, for a recharging practice, for a cleansing practice. And so the biggest teachers are nature. You know, the true shamans that exist in this world are the mountains, the trees, the fire, the water. And so a really good practice is to have an altar, always with a candle on and always with um, fire and water. And so Every day, the first water that you drink in the morning, first you give thanks to the water. You ask the water. You think about all the waters around the world. Imagine them clean, thriving, vibrant, beautiful. Every being around the planet can have clean water to drink. And then as you drink that water with so much gratitude, you imagine that water, apart from cleansing you, it's also, it's also quenching the thirst of all of the people that don't have water to drink on this planet. Because through us, our minds have all of the healing tools that we need for our own lives and for the planet too. And we're all connected through a web of light, right? Every single living being on this planet is connected through this web of light. So every thought that we think is affecting that web. So I think for me, the most powerful way to be connected is to take responsibility for how we interact with this web of light. So our every thought counts because we have a collective consciousness. If we're constantly sending out negative thoughts, we're polluting the collective, we're upsetting the spirit of the air also, 
And we are also attracting more of that because the universe also responds in frequency. Whatever we focus on, we get more off. So the universe doesn't understand, I really don't want that to happen. I really don't want that to happen. I really don't want that to happen. Oh, that, that, that is what the universe is hearing. Okay, here's more of that, that, that. And so if we can start every day with gratitude, not thinking about everything that is lacking in our lives, but thinking about the, even if it's the smallest things that we have, if it's a home, if it's something to eat today, clean water to drink, so many things that we take for granted. When we know millions of people still don't have access to clean water, one in 10 don't have access to clean water. Millions of people are starving to death. And many times we are complaining when we have a plate of food, a glass full of clean water to drink. And so I feel gratitude is the key to healing and starting our day in this way, making ritual of our lives, honoring the water. And then we can connect with the fire, which represents our hearts, the heart of the universe. And so through that sacred fire, we can ask for purification. We can ask that light to shine through our hearts and to purify, to illuminate all of our darkness, to show us what it is that we need to see inside of ourselves, to see it with love, to see it with compassion and acceptance and help us transmute that. With the wind, we can ask the grandfather air, you know, as we breathe, giving thanks for our health, giving thanks for our lungs. We can also send that clean, pure air out to the earth to cleanse all of the clouds, to cleanse the clouds within and to purify. And the more we can, we can think like this, as within, so without, and recognize our inherent connection with the earth. This is how, this is the key to healing, is to live in gratitude and to live connected to our true parents. And then stepping our feet in the earth, rooting, grounding, drawing the sustenance and the energy of the sacred mother and ask her, how can we learn to love unconditionally like she does? How can we learn to forgive like she does? To look into another and to see simply their light, their qualities, our inherent connection with them, even if that person maybe is on a different frequency, which we cannot connect with or understand. Are we able to look at the hurt inner child inside of them? Are we able to disconnect our emotional triggers from that situation and recognize that as simply a lesson that is coming through to, for our spirits to evolve? And, and when we connect with our hearts, we can perceive that. We can perceive a child in someone else. And I wouldn't hurt a child. I wouldn't beat up a child. I wouldn't scream with a child. I don't want to traumatize a child for the rest of their lives. So I also don't want to do that to another human being that I see is already highly traumatized. So, and through these practices, you know, to getting to know the elements in this intimate way, then we can go sit, you know, in them, sit in nature and ask the trees for guidance, ask them to share their energy with us, asking all the sacred beings all around to make alliances with nature, no, make alliances with all of our sacred relations that inhabit this planet with us. And then also plant baths is one of the most powerful ways to cleanse ourselves. No, you can make a tea with rosemary, mint, yarrow, damiana. You can boil this put some at the end, put some rose petals on it. You can take a little bit and you can drink as a tea, as an internal scrub. And then you can put the rest in the water and soak in it for 20 minutes. That, and then you give the key of negative energies to Mother Earth. Ask Mother Earth, ask her spirit to heal. You can also add estropajo in there, lufa. And just asking the earth to nourish us and to cleanse us is all available. Truly, it's all available all around us. We just need to ask for help and do our part because we can sit there and pray for all our lives, but we also need to act accordingly to our prayer and in alignment you know, in order to receive because every action also has a consequence. Beautiful. So Vivian, for our last question, if you were to be a channel of the Great Mother, for our listeners right now, what would she like to say? We're weavers weaving through a thread of light, of life, of magic. And in that weaving, if a little piece of the fabric goes wrong, per se, if there is a little mistake, that's a warning. 
that's an opportunity to stop and reevaluate what are we thinking about as we're weaving? What are we trying to create? For the earth, the spirit, they have no war. They feel no hate. And they're here to help us humans just heal the war within. Because whenever we heal our internal conflict, that we're going to be able to find balance with all of our relations, that we're going to be able to recognize each other as our own. Thank you, Vivian. It's been such an honor to be with you in this space and to hear your wisdom. And I just feel the presence of so many others with you, supporting you, supporting your mission. And it's a blessing to be here. So thank you. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here sharing with you both and really honoring you and the work that you do. So important. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I really look forward to going to one of your gatherings also and to staying connected and listening to more of the podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to the Time of the Feminine podcast. It was such an honor to interview Vivian Viela. To learn more about Aniwa, you can head over to aniwa.co and also aniwa.co on Instagram. And to find more about us, we're at globalsisterhood.org as well as the Global Sisterhood on Instagram. We have a training coming up called Sacred Facilitator, which is a 12-week journey into understanding the techniques, modalities, and medicine of being a facilitator in these changing times. To learn more, head over to our website. It is such an honor to be on this journey with you. Until next time.